The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. How are you now? Mm, I'm, oh, in what way? Give me a, <laughs> narrow it down. Yeah, good point. You got a lot going on. Yeah, that's a bad website issue. Oh, geez. One of those. Oh, yeah. You know, I've got 30,000 posts on my website. And uh, it hasn't been really revamped in about five years. So, you know, with upgrades to WordPerfect and patches and plugins. Wait a minute, did you just say WordPerfect? Uh, sorry, WordPress. <laughs> there, that we just identified my problem. Yeah, well, I, I think we just did. You're still stuck in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stand by. Here we go. Here we go. Live from Studio 3B, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guests Sting. The concert business has gone really high tech. The band Muse has launched a VR experience for showgoers. We'll introduce you to Microsoft's Amy Sorokas. Plus, more details on our next Live on Location show and why it seems we've turned into a book club. Look out, Oprah. You get a tax bill and you get a tax bill. Everybody gets a tax bill. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. No, I used Word, Word Perfect for years. Okay, do you remember the predecessor to Word Perfect? Um. WordStar. Where you didn't bold something, you did a command B or technically a control B and it put a little character code before the word you wanted to bold. And then when you were ready to unbold whatever it was, you added a separate code. It was not what the, at the time we termed WYSIWYG. You remember what WYSIWYG means? What you see is what you get. Yes. I used a DOS program called, oh, I can't remember, but I wrote the first 100, 125 ongoing history programs on this word program. It was made by Symantec. Symantec, the antivirus people. Yeah, they had a suite that came with a word processor and a database. And I cannot for the life of me remember what it was, but whatever the program was, Nobody had a translation program for it. It was called Q&A. Q&A, that's it. Holy crap. Yeah, that's what the radio station had for years. 1985. Yes. To 1998? Yes, it was around for a very long time because it did not use very much memory and you could run it on a 286. Wow. Yep. It was first funded by the National Science Foundation. That's right. And I remember when I was trying to upgrade to a WYSIWYG program, the only program at that time that could translate uh, Q&A word processing to something reasonably readable in a WYSIWYG environment was WordPerfect. So that's how I ended up with WordPerfect. So Q&A when it came out in November of 1985, took the world by storm and generated $1.4 million. <laughs> you know what 
$1.4 million in 1995 was? Nothing. <laughs> 3.3 million. Okay, see, nothing. Right, well, back in 1985 when only eight people owned a computer? I bet you, you know, I still have somewhere in the basement, and I never throw any of these things out. I have all the hard drives that have ever been on any computer I've ever had. And I have the five and a quarter inch floppy disks that I used to back up all those files. Do you even remember how much a five and a quarter inch floppy disk held? It was 480 kilobytes. A five and a quarter inch floppy drive had a single sided density of 160K and 360K for low density. And then eventually we got five and a quarter inch floppies that were high density at 1.2 megabytes. Yeah. So I'm uh, hooked on my uh, VR, as you already know. It's, it's, it's a sad addiction. Lake on Mike Hotel Alpha requesting permission to dock. Landing gear down. Landing gear deployed. Ship lights off. I'm 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 in a flight simulator from the year 3305. It's a, a game called Elite Dangerous, and it's a sandbox game. So you could be the the shoot 'em up type of guy who's blowing up other ships. Uh, you could be a, a trader. You could be an explorer. You could be pretty much anything you want in this world, and it's all first person. And because of course you get the VR headset. Now there's this one thing, because it's a flight simulator in space. What Frontier Developments has done is it has literally taken all 40 billion stars we know to exist and it's put them in this galaxy and then the remaining 360 billion stars that are believed to be in the galaxy it has algorithmically spread them out throughout the playing environment you have the entire milky way galaxy to explore all 400 billion stars of it and there's this one particular thing where you jump from hyperspace into one particular star system, but the nearest spaceport you go to is called Hutton Orbital, and it's 0.22 light years or 2 trillion kilometers away. So because the game is real time, save the hyperspace capability, it literally takes you two hours to fly once you jump out of hyperspace and go into super cruise to get to this space station. And because nobody wants to do that two hour commute to get to the destination, it's become kind of a thing in the internet sphere of influence that Elite Dangerous has where it becomes a badge of honor to say you went to Hutton Orbital. So guess who went to Hutton Orbital? Uh, you, um, I have a question. Do you spend any time with your family? I do, surprisingly I do. But this I did over the course of two days. So I didn't do it in the two straight hours all at once. Once you get there, the running wait, gag... Wait, 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 back up. Stop. Yes. So what happens during these two hours of, of travel? You just sit there and watch the stars go by? Engines engaged. 
by and large, yes. Landing gear up. Landing gear retracted. Things will happen as well. They have both NPC characters, non-playing characters, and real people, because there's hun hundreds of thousands of people playing this simultaneously, where you've got pirates who will interdict you, pull you out of the super cruise hyperspace-like mode, and try to basically destroy your ship to take whatever cargo you may or may not have. So you just can't put this on. You actually have to pay attention as you're going through this. You have to pay attention. They, they have a playlist feature where you can listen to news on tape kind of thing. Thargoids wreak havoc in core systems. It has now been more than two months since the Thargoids began a concentrated assault on the core systems, and in that time they have attacked dozens of starboards, resulting in thousands of casualties. As authorities in the affected systems continue to appeal for aid, Admiral Aiden Tanner, Aegis's chief military liaison, has offered the following assessment. What's surprising is that the Thargoids aren't targeting our most important social or military centers such as the superpowers home systems. There's no doubt that they're trying to weaken us, but evidently they're guided by different principles than those that typically govern human martial strategy. So you can hear what's going on in the, the elite dangerous world while you're going, or you can substitute your own music. Probably not enough. <laughs> but because the gag is that it takes forever to get there in, in VR uh, or in, in regular th uh, 2D as well, um, you, you get a, a mug. Like you go to the gift shop and you buy a mug. Now, there's no actual mug. But because people have made the actual trip to this destination, in the real world, there are people selling Hutton Orbital mugs and I'm about to buy one. Of course you are. Yes. The band Muse, meantime, is getting into VR in a big way as well. Maybe not as much as me in my family-avoiding technique. But they launched a VR-based series of games to bring tracks from the new album Simulation Theory to life. It's the brainchild of the band's Matt Bellamy. This is the guy behind those flocks of drones they use in the live concerts and mm -hmm. playing his custom guitar. So we thought uh, we'd bring Muse partner Microsoft in on the game to talk about the band simulation theory album come to life. Joining us is Microsoft's Amy Sorokas. Good to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I want to say that I was going to go to the Muse show. 
I was going to participate in the uh, the whole VR thing that the band had set up in Toronto. However, I was sidelined by my kidneys and ended up in emergency surgery that very night. So uh, I normally would be able to speak with some authority on the matter, but um, I was under general anesthetic. What he's clearly getting at is, Amy, do you have a kidney you don't need? Yeah, I, I'm looking for one. <laughs> I, you know, maybe, I don't know, for a match. <laughs> one that fits on the right, please. That would be, uh, that would be better. Hey, that's a good point. I didn't know about that. If if you need a right kidney, does somebody have to donate a right kidney, or can you put the left kidney in upside down? Oh, well, I don't think you can put it upside down because there is certain plumbing that has to go right way up. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, I don't know. I'll take whatever I can get. I was going to say, I think you would be the one to be doing the research um, on this. Yeah, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. Do it. I'll tell you about my renal scan and my, the isotopes that they're going to uh, inject me with later on. We, we have a guest. Oh, right. Sorry, Amy. I, I Sorry. This has been a running thing with us for the last couple of weeks. I almost died. And I'm looking for as much sympathy as I can possibly get. Well, I'm glad you're you're sounding pretty good today. I'm, I'm fine. And I am really upset at this whole news. <laughs> Michael has no sympathy for me whatsoever. None. I, I really wanted to go to this um, this muse thing. So, so back up and start again. I, I know Matt is is, an, is is a nut when it comes to technology. I mean, anybody who writes songs like Supermassive Black Hole is is clearly in a different kind of headspace than most rock stars. So, and, and they are always looking to push the envelope when it comes to their live shows and with interactions with fans. So explain exactly what this whole thing was. Yeah, so um, early last year, uh, we started, we had them come out to campus, to Microsoft campus, and we were showcasing, got to show them around and meet different people and show off some of our technology. And some of that was our virtual reality um, technology, everything from the HoloLens to the Windows mixed reality headsets and things that you could do. And it clearly uh, sparked a creative uh, moment for Matt and, and the band and really got excited about the idea of how they could take their fans into the world that they were creating around simulation theory and what that could mean for them as they were getting ready to release the album and go out on tour. And we started to talk about what, what, what we could build together and this idea of creating a few VR games for a few of their tracks that could go on tour with them and be something that some of their fans could experience um, was what kind of came up. Now, you know that the next album You've influenced it. Hopefully. <laughs> oh, I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Matt is going to, you know, hunker down into his little library or his huge library and come up with something. Um, uh, well, it'll be dystopian. That'll be one thing. Um, but it'll be very interesting based on what you showed him. Yeah. So we created um, three games. Uh, one is a, a racer game, Retrograde Racer, that it is set to the song Dark Side. And then there's Simulation Striker and Spaceship Defender that is set to pressure. Solution or exit out I'm grinding it out No one can 
One of them kind of takes the world that you can see a bit of in their music videos for the those singles and takes elements from that, both the creative and the sort of um, the notion that the game the game has and, and brings those to life in virtual reality. Are you playing this on a desktop? Are you playing this? Oh, this is definitely desktop quality level, dude. It's got to be, right? Yeah. So there's, there's, you know, um, Windows computers in the background, and then we have it set up in a way in their enhanced experience where there's actually um, oversized, life-size arcade machines where people who aren't in the VR headsets can watch what people are playing in 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 the experience themselves. Now the enhanced uh, the enhanced experience is something that fans go to and participate in at Muse shows, correct? That's right. It's it's sort of a pre-show for folks who are really excited about Muse and want to want to take advantage of being able to play these games and uh, see what they can see in that in that pre-show experience. I'm interested in why you opted to go with games. You know, others have done different sort of things where they're telling stories, you're interacting almost like the old days of Myst to talk about going back to to retro video games. Uh, but why did you go with a video game motif as opposed to more of a, a 3D storytelling method? Yeah, I think it was really around the idea that um, the band wanted something that people could really interact with and and be able to do pretty quickly with um, coming into this VR notion. It's like some people who are coming into the experience have never tried a VR headset, aren't as into it as you are, Michael. Um, but others have have tried different things, and we wanted to make it quick to you to learn and, and use how to and you know have that have the game come to life and we also um were really excited about the idea of each one of these uh sort of settings for for each of the each of the songs kind of already had something in it that made a lot of sense to make into a game um you know the the video for dark side is all about car chases and, and, and kind of moving through this desert-like world and then into a, a different space and really kind of thought, wow, there's some really simple kind of leaps into game-like opportunities. So we, we were interested in, in finding those and, and making those come to life. So this isn't uh, uh, just taking a standard music video and turning it into a 3D virtual reality environment. This is starting from the, the ground up. I can imagine the, the language that you speak visually has to change dramatically compared to a, a standard rock video kind of thing because you're dealing with movement. You talk about uh, car chases and things like that. One of the things that we learned very early on in VR is that you can't just move the virtual reality 
individual from point A to point B because you introduce VR sickness really quickly. So I can imagine you had to learn a lot of lessons and apply them to this. Yeah, that's right. I think we, we had the great fortune of having a lot of the folks on our engineering team at Microsoft who have worked on a lot of different kinds of experiences and games in VR and were able to get some consulting help from them in terms of those those kinds of uh, lessons because it is really important that we you know obviously didn't want to make a bunch of uh, muses fans really uh, motion sick <laughs> before <laughs> they were getting ready to see the incredible show so yeah we we had to think about um, how to how to make it easily playable um, build the scene like from the ground up and into this game experience but pull on all of the creative that had come to life for the the videos and things that they were creating. So what kind of throughput did you have? How many people could you cycle through these games before a show? Um, so luckily, uh, the other beauty of using a song to to create a game a game with and this experience around is they're you know three and a half four minutes in length. So the 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 games are actually matched to the song and allow for a lot of folks to come through. And we have multiple kiosks um, for each of for each of the games, so we can get quite a number of people through before the shows. So this then sounds like it's really not about something that I at home would enjoy. This is something you want to enjoy in a little bite-sized nugget, a little amuse-bouche for the actual concert at an event, which explains why you wanted to go with this video game three and a half to four minute kind of format. That's a very decisive move you've made there. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it, it's 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 a place where obviously Muse was interested in getting people into the mindset of of the creative and of the music, and this was a way to really get people hands on with that and be part of their experience for the day at the show and and kind of digging a little deeper into these worlds that the band created around around simulation theory and the and the singles. So Alan, I suppose this sort of speaks to the idea that concerts are evolving. Yeah, because you need to get people off the couch. You need to get them into the to buy tickets, to buy upgrades to those tickets and to show up to the show early. Uh one thing that I'm interested in, did the band play the games and if they did were they any good? <laughs> good question yeah they've played all the games um and they are pretty good at them uh like you mentioned they're they definitely um are into this world and into vr and have have that um that skill set so they were good uh you know they are very competitive and enjoyed trying to beat each other's scores but um did a great job i would say you know the, the there's a beat game simulation striker and uh dom's pretty good at that one. Oh, the drummer the drummer wins yeah <laughs> well yeah would it does it surprise you that the drummer could keep to the beat of a game like that come oh. on makes a lot of sense <laughs> not at all as a matter of fact may 26th is the next tour date in prague and the idea that this is sort of an evolution of the standard concert experience to be able to play the vr experience you have to have an ex an enhanced experience ticket, and that's about $500 upcharge on a regular ticket. Is it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. According to Vanessa Zoli, our writer on geeksandbeats.com, who's done all the research on this. 
any artist is not making any money selling records these days. There's not a lot of money coming from streaming, especially with rock bands. So you need to have these, well, enhanced experiences uh, that bring you into the tent. And is it working? I know that they've been very popular and they're looking at, um, you know, some some sold out enhanced experience moments through the European leg of the tour. Muse is bigger in Europe than they are in North America, so I'm not surprised at that. That that makes perfect sense. You mentioned mixed reality, which is sort of Microsoft specific spin on virtual reality, more so than I suspect augmented reality. You did mention HoloLens though as well. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the differences between VR and AR and what that's going to mean to us down the road. And the expectation is is that AR is going to be substantially bigger than virtual reality because its applications are much greater. You can use it while you're outdoors, while you're out and about. Your sunglasses will overlay, turn left, dummy, sort of thing. But I can imagine, you know, particularly as we've already seen with demos of HoloLens with video game technology where the creatures that you're shooting at are hiding behind real-world desks, that you at Microsoft are working on AR-related concert-type content as well. We, let's see, we don't have anything in the works at the moment, but that doesn't mean that we won't explore there. In the, in the program that I look after, we, we explore different technologies across the board at Microsoft and uh, work with artists based on sort of the, the creative vision that they have and what they're excited about and how they want to use the tech to apply it to their work. So it can, it can mean lots of different things. And um, we haven't quite found the right match on different things with, with, um, with a concert experience in, in HoloLens. We did do a project though with HoloLens and uh, Brian Eno last year that brought his, um, his application Bloom to life in, in an augmented reality environment instead of on your phone. I can imagine though a lot of the HoloLens limitations have to do with the fact that you have to be fairly close to a fairly high-end piece of gear to help all, make all of that happen. I can only imagine that once we get 5G wireless, uh, ubiquitous throughout society that we're going to be doing a lot of edge computing where all of the work, the heavy lifting of the computing to make AR possible is going to be done in the cloud. And then you'll be able to have everybody at a concert with a HoloLens. Yeah, there's a lot of possibility in the future. That's for sure. It's it's an exciting space to think about. And, and it is something that, you know, we're, we're really interested in keeping uh, exploring and, and seeing what people are interested in doing and bringing to their to their fans and to their to their creative expression. Amy, this is absolutely fascinating. You didn't tell us anything though that you're working on secretly behind the scenes. <laughs> We are, uh, let's see, we have things, we have lots of projects happening. We actually just launched a project uh, this week with an artist, Neo, who is an R&B artist in London. And she did a project with us where we created a a music video experience for her fans online that is um, using AI and um, some some, uh, vision detection to create a unique and personalized experiences for fans as they watch her and a dancer um, move through a piece around her single orbit. See, this is the kind of stuff that we're going to see more and more of because you need to combat streaming in the sense that streaming is just organized noise. It goes in one ear and out the other. There is no context given to any of it. 
Uh, you might not even know the name of the artist or the song that you're listening to before you, you know, skip it after seven seconds. So the idea is to attract people to a certain artist, a certain album, a certain song, and keep them there with um, new technology. Yeah, and there's a lot of artists that are, um, you know, have great ideas about things that they can do. And sometimes the tech is there to make it happen and other things are hopefully going to be uh, able to happen in the future. And it's really exciting to work with people who have these amazing creative visions for that. Amy Sorokas joined us from Seattle. Thank you. Amy, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. You got a plug? Yes, I do have a plug. I am on a speaking tour. I'm, it's with a company called Side Door Access. These people arrange for artists and people like me to perform or appear in small, intimate venues uh, for a very reasonable price. And the next one I am doing is on uh, Thursday, this coming Thursday, which is uh, the 2nd of May at the Waterloo Moonshine Juicery in Waterloo, Ontario. There are also gigs coming up in Buffalo. That one's sold out. Uh, in Guelph, in Toronto, in Bancroft, and someplace else. In Kingston, too. If you want to know more, sidedooraccess.com, and they will uh, show you where to go and uh, how to get tickets. We interviewed Sidedoor, did we not? Yes, we did. Which was an awesome conversation. So if you go to geeksandbeats.com and plug that into uh, the search engine, you can listen to that episode where it, we, we learned that, you know, if you've got a large venue, but you're not traditionally bringing people in the door, because it kind of feels like Airbnb for musicians looking for a place to play. Exactly. At the, the Geeks and Beats Studio 3B East, we got a package and, and I opened it all up and it's from our longtime listener out of Thailand, Scott Coates. He sent us a couple of bucks. Oh, hi, Scott. Books or bucks? Books. Oh. <laughs> he also sends us a couple of bucks every once in a while. Well, but, but we don't need books, but okay. Okay. Well, actually, you might be interested in this. It's titled Letters from a Nut by Jed L. Nancy. Mm-hmm. With an introduction by Jerry Seinfeld. Oh. And Jerry's introduction goes on to explain that he was at a party one night and there were a bunch of letters scattered across a coffee table. And he just started looking at the letters and the replies and he was busting out laughing. So he started reading them out loud and the entire party ground to a halt as everybody gathered to listen to the, um, the, the letters to companies and then the company's replies from a man named Jed L. Nancy, a guy he didn't actually meet at the party. And so uh, Scott thought that we would find this funny we would enjoy it uh, this uh, compilation of these letters that apparently someone has written to actual companies and according to Seinfeld in the introduction that if you get this book it's best that you read it aloud yourself to others so um, while you have yet to receive your copy because the inner office mail between my studio and your studio is pretty slow it's non-existent well it's got to go through our wives yeah <laughs> Because mine works essentially with yours at, at Queen's Park. Uh, yes, my wife does not work at Queen's Park. She works at Young and Eglinton. So. Oh, right. Technically not even the same. Yeah. So maybe, no. we'll, maybe we'll get the taxpayer to foot the bill. Uh, what? Mail it? 
or, or courier it. Courier it through the, the courtesy of the government offices. Need your office mail? Yeah, probably not a good idea. Okay. All right. So um, I, would you like me to read you one of these? Yes, please. Okay. And, and if you, you find it funny at all, then maybe I'll send you the book. Okay. Uh, and, and if not, we'll give it away to somebody. Um, so this is um, uh, addressed to the Lost and Found Department of Brown Palace Hotel, 321 17th Street, Denver, Colorado. September 14, 1995. Dear Lost and Found Department, when visiting your hotel this afternoon of late Saturday, I bit down onto some crackers. Later on, after I woke up, I realized I had lost a tooth. <laughs> Did anyone find a tooth in your hotel? I'll describe it. It is a small, hard, whitish object, the size of a piece of corn. It has a rippled top, a speck of silver embedded in the top. If anyone has found this tooth, I would like to come and pick it up. I do not want somebody else's tooth. I have had that happen before. <laughs> Please do not mail it. I do not want to lose it again. I believe my tooth could be somewhere in the sundry shop, probably by the front, or it could be in the lobby on the floor somewhere in the back. I don't know where I lost it, but I do know that it was not in my head when I left your hotel last Saturday. Thank you for getting back to me on this. Respectfully, Ted L. Nancy. He actually got a reply. Mm -hmm. About a month and two days later. Dear Sir, in response to your letter of 17 September, we proceeded at once to check the areas mentioned. Also, we have checked our lost and found records and have monitored items turned in since then. We have failed to find your missing tooth. Such a loss is regrettable. No doubt it is likely an inconvenience to you. Although I do not believe it is likely the tooth will be returned to us this long after this loss, please let me assure you that we will keep the record of your letter and will let you know if the tooth is returned. If I can help you in any other way, please let me know. Yours in service, Stan Roebuck, Director of Loss Prevention. Okay, I want to see this book. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. There's got to be 200 pages of uh, letters and replies and follow-up letters. It's absolutely bonkers. And Seinfeld says he has no idea who Nancy is. Doesn't matter. There you go. As long as these things are real, I'm in... Thank you very much, Scott, for sending that along. And thank you as well. He also sent me personally a book about um, life after your first career and starting your second career. Perfect for you. Precisely. Guy who jumped ship after, you know, 30 years in mainstream media doing his own thing now. Uh, I could use a little bit of advice. We'd also use a few bucks. So uh, we're disappointed to learn that Dean Kelly has deleted his $2 Patreon contribution. Chris has deleted his $1 contribution. And Emma Borsellino has deleted her $2 contribution. However, we know for a fact that Emma switched over to PayPal. She just couldn't figure out how to do the recurring payment so that, much like Patreon, we ding her uh, on a regular basis. We've updated that. So, Emma, if you want to go back into clicking the support the show link, uh, it's updated there to fix that. Uh, Dean and Chris, we hope that uh, you buggered off Patreon and you're going to join us on PayPal soon as well because we could certainly use your support. We want to say thank you to Tim Heron, TJ Webb, Don Woodall, Adrian Bashford, Craig Schlegelmitch, Darren, Antoinette Vanden Dickenberg, and Scott Coates as well. Of course, the guy who sent us uh, the book. Uh, these are our members of the world's world. Worst intern program. And of course, you know what makes it the worst. Yes, you pay us, you do nothing, and we don't teach you anything. But if you should put your 
experience with us on a resume, we will vote for you. We certainly will. Oh, we certainly will. So as well, if you want to be a co-producer, you can do that on Patreon to 25 bucks. Uh, that gets you the co-producer credit on the big show. We put uh, your name on the album art so you can print it off, frame it and hang it in your parents' basement. Uh, we've got, of course, a reason why we're soliciting donations. And that is that we've got the big Cosmo Fest music show coming up June 1st. And we've got breaking news. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Getty Lee is going to be there signing his book. Yes, he will be, along with a number of other bands performing live, including Sloan and Chilliwack and a bunch of others. Uh, and Getty's got his big, beautiful book of bass. It's not bass. No, it's not. Are you it's, sure it's not a fishing book? It's not. I've got a copy. It's it's a bass. There's no there's there's nothing large mouthed about it. <laughs> Singing or otherwise. Otherwise, yes. So with Cosmo um, on the 1st, we're going to be there broadcasting live on location at 12 p.m. So swing by, see how we make the sausages uh, on the big show. We're going to get a big banner made up that says live on location, which is why we're soliciting donations in the first place. He's overkill. Uh, well, Vanessa, our uh, producer, also has a 10 by 10 tent that she's going to lend us. And I actually contemplated spending the $360 to get a vinyl wall for it so that we could have the logo across the back of us as we're live on the internet. Oh, yeah. And how many people are going to be watching this live on the internet? 14,000 people showed up to Cosmo Fest last year. That's not the question I asked. <laughs> I know. I was going to hope you didn't know. <laughs> Subscribe to all new episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or stream us live every Wednesday at geeksandbeats.com. Support the show on Patreon. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for a daily dose of the world's most popular podcasts with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.